Hey everybody, you're listening to Sit Down With Stand-Ups, I'm Ari Azizian, and thanks for tuning in, and be sure to subscribe to Sit Down With Stand-Ups on iTunes and your smartphone for new episodes with great comedians every single Monday. Okay, guys, today I have a very special guest. He's one of my favorite comedians. He's a terrific stand-up. He's been on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, Late Night with David Letterman, and Evening at the Improv. I'm talking to none other than Jimmy Brogan. Jimmy was also the writer and talent coordinator for The Tonight Show with Jay Leno for nine years. He helped write the monologues and book the comics. I mean, this guy was responsible for booking some of your favorite comedians before they became household names, like Ray Romano and Kevin James. And Jimmy also starred in his own sitcom called Out of the Blue on ABC. Jimmy is one of the best, and if you haven't seen him live yet, you definitely need to go see him. He performs with Jay Leno almost every single Sunday of the year at the Comedy and Magic Club in Hermosa Beach, California, which is an amazing club if you haven't been before. We actually recorded the episode there. And a very special thanks to Mr. Lacey, Rich, and Chris for making this episode possible. And what an amazing episode, guys. Jimmy talks about his first Tonight Show set and getting that okay sign from Johnny Carson and bringing some of his buddies with him to the taping like Jerry Seinfeld, Mark Schiff, and Bill Maher. And we talked about what makes a comedian great. And Jimmy told some great stories about sitting with Jay Leno until 2 in the morning working out monologue jokes for the Tonight Show the next night. Just awesome stories. It was such a blast and I had so much fun talking with them and it was such an honor. Guys, here's my talk with Jimmy Brogan. Yeah, I was just watching you in the other room, and I love what you do because I feel like wow. you and like Ian Bag and like Robin wow. Williams are like my favorite guys because you guys wow. are. I feel like some of the only guys who are actually in the moment. You know, you're talking to the audience, and you know, I mean, a lot of people stick to their act, and <laughs> I, I like that too. I love a lot of comics like that too. But what you do, especially, is so interesting because I see so many comics who try to talk to the audience, uh-huh. and people start shying away and they like look away. <laughs> and when you're like halfway through your show, you're like, "So where are you guys from?" I see hands shooting up, and like people just like love being a part of it and I feel like you guys are all laughing together instead of putting people down and oh that's that's a nice way to look at it yes I was wondering like what do you think is the uh, do you think like positivity or like is important in comedy or like not staying negative or uh well I in my act I try and do the first few jokes where kind of I'm the subject of the joke it's it's making fun of me a little bit yeah to kind of put them at ease and, you know, sometimes I go out there and something happens right away and I don't really have a chance to kind of set up my personality. Uh, but, you know, I try and uh, be kind of non-threatening right. uh, at the beginning of making fun of myself, I guess. And sometimes that will put them at ease. And once I've talked to one person, that can set the tone for the whole show. Right, yeah. You know, th- they realize that I'm not Don Rickles, I'm not attacking them. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, my v- v- very first review, I think, ever was in uh, Variety. And they said I was a defanged Don Rickles, <laughs> that I was trying to insult the audience but couldn't quite bear to do it. <laughs> so they didn't quite get what I was doing. That's so funny, yeah. Yeah, when I was first starting out. Yeah, because I don't think I've never seen anybody that does crowd work like you. And it's so awesome to see. And tonight, for instance, somebody shouted out something. And like you're talking to somebody else. You're like, hey, where are you from? And they're like, oh, I'm from Columbia. And mm-hmm. I think you said, what do you do there? And then the guy said, uh, cocaine, like he just shouted out there. Yeah. And like, that's terrifying. I feel like for most comedians, if somebody shouts out something and like most comics, I feel like wouldn't even engage. Like, how did you even like learn how to do this stuff? Did Uh, you start out doing it? Crowd work? No, I started out, uh, with very set stuff. I had five minutes of material about going to an intellectual high school, Okay. which I thought would be so funny in New York because 
I thought comedians were still doing those kind of old-fashioned jokes about I grew up in a tough neighborhood. Right, you know, right. Those kind of kind of jokes. Uh, you know, read a school newspaper with a, an obituary column. You know, I thought <laughs> right. I thought comedians were still doing those kind of jokes. They they, they had really moved on. Right. And, so you chose kind of like an opposite kind of. Yes, I thought. Oh, I'll uh, do jokes about going to an intellectual high school. So I start out. I was doing jokes in Latin. I would say, Oh, here's a funny joke. <laughs> <laughs> Semper ubi, sub ubi. <laughs> and of course it would get nothing, you know, but that was kind of the that's joke the to Jesuits me. the Jesuits in the audience, this joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I, I thought, oh, that's going to be funny. But uh, so then I had savers for the jokes because they were never working. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started getting on very late at night at the improv in New York. Uh, and I just couldn't do the act presentationally like I would with a larger audience, you know, because right. it, it just seemed too phony. So I kind of started talking to them. And it really came from, uh, uh, I was dating a woman who had dated Jimmy Walker. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, y- years before. And she had a tape of him working at the Playboy Clubs. The Playboy Clubs used to have comedy in the rooms that, that Jay Leno worked at and Jimmy Walker. And those, right. you know, the generation kind of before me uh, worked in the clubs. And <clears throat> I listened to these tapes and I would hear him talk to the audience and just weave into the material that he had, but it was the same material every night. He just got into it different ways by talking to them. Right. And I said, oh, that's how you play to a small crowd. So he was playing to small crowds. at the, anyway. So that's what I would do. I would, there'd be maybe one table left at the improv because the improv was open till four in the morning in New York. When I, I know, was I heard that. I can't believe it. <laughs> so, you know, I'd be on at 345. Yeah. You know, and I just couldn't do that, God. you know, the big Latin joke. But I, I would say, oh, what high school did you go to? Right. And they would say whatever high school from their city. And I would go, oh, I went to an intellectual high school. And it just sounded more conversational. Yeah. And my conversations then became funnier than the material that I had. Oh, that's eventually. Cool. Yeah. And so you kind of discovered that through just like, you uh, couldn't do the act in front of just a few people. It sounded kind of like a recording almost. Uh, yes, it would. Yeah, it was just too big for uh, talking to one table, right. you know, at four in the morning. It was just, yeah. it was, the act was just, yeah. That's so interesting, yeah. So, so yeah, so I kind of lost my act, and it took me a long time in New York for anyone to trust that I could do that to a bigger crowd. Then. Oh, wow, yeah. Because they would, oh, well, you can do that to a few people late at night, but... Like comedy bookers and people booking clubs. Well, it, at that point, there weren't many clubs out of town, so it was pretty much New York. I was doing the improv and Catch a Rising Star, and, okay. and, and the comic strip had just opened, wow. too, in New York, and... Uh, so, yes, I was, you know, it took me a long time. And, you know, I, I would go in every night, seven nights a week, and I would hang out at the clubs waiting. To, I would go to a small club and do a set, and then I would go into the bigger clubs and just sit there till four in the morning every night. And, you know, on a, one occasion, someone didn't show up. And yeah. all of a sudden, it was, they would come out and go, all right, we'll put you on. And, <laughs> you know, I did well enough because I'd been working. And, right. you know, that they went, oh, okay, I guess it does work to a bigger that's so, yeah. yeah, that's so, so funny. That's what I do too. I go to like I'll play a, co- a coffee shop, and mm-hmm. then I'll go hang out at the comedy store and just watch comedy until like two, three in the morning. Uh, that's what I do too. It's the best education, just watching these like amazing comics. I was going to say the same thing. Is yeah, I got to watch the good comics, you know, all night, every night, and kind of network with all my friends because we'd all end up at you know one club or the other and right. and hang out till, uh, and then eventually they would say uh, the MC would want to go home because the show would start at I think nine at the Improv. 
And by one o'clock, you know, he, I know right? I'm seeing for four <laughs> hours, he'd say, you know, you, you want to take over for the rest of the night? And I go, yeah, sure. So, wow, you know, I began amazing. to get on at one o'clock yeah. <laughs> as the MC, the new MC. <laughs> Till four in the morning. Yeah. I yeah. heard Dom Rara on another interview, he said that he would set an alarm for two in the morning to go down to the improv in New York uh, until four in the morning. Wow. He said people could still, they could serve alcohol until like 350. Yeah, that's morning. right. Something like no, it was just crazy. Exactly right. So, what year were you at the Improv in Well, I started in New York. 1975. Oh wow! And you know, did the smaller clubs for a long time and every night. Uh, and by 1978, I did 365 sets that year. Wow! And I thought your first year. No, yeah. but by my third year. Third year, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it was hard to get spots on weekends, even in the, the smaller clubs right. when it's first starting. So, but my third year, I thought, oh, this is really good. I did 365. And but my fourth year, I did 1,000 sets. Wow. That year. That's amazing. And that's what really got me comfortable on stage. Yeah. And, you know, I had done the act so many times. Some nights I would do it six, six times a night wow. in the clubs. And, you know, I just got comfortable on stage because I'd be just in a cab all night. Yeah, screaming at cab drivers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said go through the park. It's faster. You know, I'd be and because you know, if I missed one, I would then be late for all the other right, uh, spots. Yeah. Uh, so uh, just doing a million spots is what really that's so cool. Uh, yeah, you got me better and more comfortable on stage. That's amazing. Yeah, and you were there like during like all my heroes. So you must have been with like Jerry Seinfeld and like yeah. Jerry started a little bit. He started in '76 once the comic strip opened. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, in who was in your like class like uh, that you well, hang out with? In, in those yeah yeah Jerry came along a, you know a little bit after me. Yeah. Uh, Larry Miller oh, was wow. there. Uh, George Wallace was at the comic strip. Wow. Uh, uh, some guys that sadly have passed away. Dennis Wolfberg was a wonderful comic. Uh, another guy Ronnie Shakes was a Catch a Rising Star. All those guys. Yeah. That I that I started with. That's you know, so cool. Mark Schiff. Mark Schiff. Yeah. I met him one of the first times. I was standing in line. <laughs> down at uh, Folk City in the village. Oh, cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, awesome. And yeah, we've been friends ever since. That's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, how did you even, because I know you're from Cleveland, and yeah. how did the idea of comedy even come about? Like, did you always want to be a comic, or? No, I was too nervous. I was too shy to even do it. Yeah. Uh, when I was, I was kicked out of grad school, <laughs> eventually, you know. And <laughs> Where I were you studying over there? I was at, as at Notre Dame. I went there as undergrad and then graduate school. And, and okay. finally they kicked me out my, <laughs> my second year of grad school. And I thought, oh, I only knew how to do one thing, go to school. Right. And I'm not even good at that. I thought, oh, this is horrible. You know, so it was just horrible. And I went to New York to do volunteer work. And I, I took the Greyhound bus oh, wow. uh, from Cleveland yeah. uh, to uh, New York. And I, I had emceed a couple shows at Notre Dame uh, in the spring. And... Uh, and I thought, oh, you know, maybe there's some place in the village that has comedy or something. I didn't even know, you know. I thought, right. oh, maybe I could go and do these impressions that I kind of... You had. started with impressions, too? I, I had learned impressions from a couple of friends of mine okay. at Notre Dame. My friend Mark Tracy did a great Ed Sullivan. Oh, cool. And nice. So I kind of learned that from him. And my friend Kevin O'Neill did Walter Brennan. <laughs> and uh, so... At the time, they were old impressions. Right. Yeah, now they seem like it's from a different generation. You know, but, <laughs> no, I started, too, with kind of older impressions. Oh, you did? Just okay. Just to not have to be myself on stage. I was like, I'll just say jokes as a different person. Well, and that's how Gilbert Gottfried started, too. When I first used to see Gilbert in really? New York, yeah, he was a part of the group. He started a little ahead of me, but uh, he would do the Marx Brothers. And, oh, cool. You know, he had a really good ear, actually, yeah. for impressions. And uh, But his act was all set and impressions and he finally threw it all out and started doing 
Just Gilbert, yeah. What he became famous wow. for eventually. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That's so cool. So you like kind of emceed like like a talent show kind of thing in college, or was it like a uh, showcase? Yes, there was a, a spring weekend, and I was on the committee for the spring weekend, and I convinced them to do a uh, an impersonation contest, is what I called it. <laughs> Just people doing impressions, and right. I thought, you know, I've got a friend, my friend Mark Tracy, in my dorm, did impressions, and I thought, well, there must be other kids in other dorms that maybe have an impression or two, and right. we'll stand under a tree, and there'll be you know eight <laughs> of us, and it'll be funny, and. The, the guy who was running up, my friend uh, Fritz Hofer, got a stage and uh, a huge PA system and set it up on the main quad at, at Notre Dame. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> Everybody's uh, walking by. Yeah, and, everything. and everyone's coming back from lunch. And all of a sudden, there, there were hundreds of people <laughs> sitting on the quad waiting for this show. Your first this, time going to show, stage. yeah. And I, you know, I had promised to see it uh, just because no one else wanted to. Right. And... Uh, and, you know, my friend Mark Tracy got up and then Kevin, Kevin O'Neill got up and did his impression. And, you know, I am seated and actually had my first ad lib uh, oh, nice. on stage. Do you remember what it was? Uh, yeah, it was uh, there, there's a priest that was the president of Notre Dame, Father Hesburgh, who was uh, had been uh, president since the early 50s as a young man and had been on the, on the Civil Rights Commission. I mean, very well known, traveled the world. Yeah. You know, all the presidents knew him. He was, you know, wow. really famous uh, in his day. And uh, we never saw him on campus much because he was so busy traveling and, right. and stuff. So, but he happened to walk by when I'm doing th this uh, contest. And I, I say, ladies and gentlemen, here's uh, Father Hesburgh, you know, big, big hand because no one And I said, uh, <laughs> although actually I think that might be Father Birchall doing an impression of Father Hesburgh, <laughs> you know. And it got a laugh because of the impression contest. Right. And, you know, it got, <laughs> you know, so it was my first ad lib. Oh, wow, that's awesome. And, you know, not that it was the funniest thing, but. You know, I was able to think on my feet. Right. You know, in this, just my first or second time on stage. Right. That's amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. So that that got me thinking when I went to New York. Oh, maybe I could uh, <laughs> just you know, find a little club. So, so yeah. when you initially went, you're like, I'm gonna find a club and work on like maybe impressions, but also was ad libbing kind of still like on your mind, or were you, were you like oh, no, right away like I gotta write terrifying. material? Oh yeah. It was, okay. Yeah. It's just terrible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I got up the first time with a friend of mine, uh, Larry Lee. Okay. Convinced him. We were at uh, went down to folk a place called Folk City, which is in the village where Bob Dylan started, and it was really a folk club. But this I'm, all sounds like Bob Dylan. You got on a Greyhound, you went to the village. Village, <laughs> but in those days, I mean, that was the cheapest way to get to New York. Right, I had no right. money, and I was doing volunteer work. And uh, uh, they had a hoot nanny night on Tuesdays, and uh, comics would go in as well. It's mostly folk singers. Mm. We get three songs. Comics would get five minutes or yeah. whatever it was, and uh, so. I, we would, uh, my friend Larry Lee and I would go just to watch the comics like every Tuesday because there was no cover charge. Right. And when the waitress would come up to us and, no, you want to order a drink? We'd go, ah, not right now, in a little <laughs> bit. And then we'd change tables to <laughs> another station because we didn't have any Genius. money. You know? yeah. Yeah, yeah, we kept on moving around the room so we didn't have to buy anything. And uh, w uh, one time we said to the MC there, uh, we're a comedy team. And the guy said, oh, I'll put you up later. And we kind of looked at each other and went, okay. So... I, and we went up and uh, we had kind of worked out. Did you guys practice before? Or? In the, you know. In a brief amount of time. In the brief, but I mean, Hootenanny Night went from 8 o'clock till probably 4 in the morning again. Yeah. So <laughs> we, and we probably got under two. So we had some time to uh, think up some two people jokes. But Larry froze. He was. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was an artist and, you know, he was uh, a friend, but didn't want to be a performer, but was a good enough friend that he got up there with me. And. He just froze. And so I was doing the two-man jokes 
all by myself, you know. <laughs> and it was so it was just bombing, you know. And we played to like five people, oh, and wow. each of them had their guitars on the table. They weren't even sitting together, right? You know. And I didn't know at that point that that's so much harder than a real crowd. They're all you waiting know, to go on eventually. And then they all hated us because we were yeah. fighting into their time. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. Right. So, uh, so Larry and Not I. How much did, has changed in the open mic world? <laughs> no, it, it, it's true. <laughs> exactly the same. Was, these were singers, and they were you know depressing folk singers. <laughs> and, and so, so Larry froze. So Larry froze, and I did my you know I did my Ed Sullivan, and then I did uh, Walter Brennan, nice. you know, and then I turned to Larry and said, uh, maybe you've got something, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> so Larry, all of a sudden, he got enough. Uh, bravery to go up to the mic and he did his Mickey Mouse impression oh. and his theory of doing Mickey Mouse is you could say anything but just laugh twice afterwards <laughs> so he said uh, hello ha ha how are you ha ha uh, and then he started saying the dirtiest filthiest things <laughs> as Mickey Mouse and laughing ha ha after each one <laughs> and that actually got a laugh the one laugh that we got was, was Larry doing, doing a filthy Mickey Mouse yeah <laughs> Yeah, and that was the only time we went up, and we went up as the Brogan brothers, which we thought because Larry uh, is of Chinese heritage, okay. and we thought it'd be so funny. Go with the Brogan brothers, and I would say, "Oh, I'm the adopted one." Just nothing, <laughs> right? Just nothing from the audience. Yeah, it was just yeah, just Larry's uh, just a bunch Mickey of folk Mouse. singers in the audience. Uh, yeah, that's was, so funny. Sort of, yeah, so so was, I mean, so that's your. You're not your first time, but I mean, yeah, that was my first. That time. was your first time. Yeah, yeah, with the partner, and, and yeah. I mean, including the. Playing in front of hundreds at Notre Dame. Uh, yes, but that was yes, just emceeing. Did, did uh, you just uh, like have a good feeling after you're like, this is what I want to do right away? Or no, no. Larry and I went. Oh my goodness! This is <laughs> terrifying. Yeah, we thought, oh, we got to write some material, and we kind of talked about it, and never did it again. So about. Uh, do you take a big break from this? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Maybe uh, three or four months later. Okay. Yeah, uh, I went up uh, by myself at Folk City, and I just did old jokes and. I did, this is how little I knew about comedy. I did an impression of a priest from Notre Dame that <laughs> kind of got laughs at Notre Dame, right. my friend, uh, Father Griffin. And uh, I, I would do an impression of him, you know, good afternoon and welcome to five o'clock mass. You know, this is kind of how he talked with the New England accent. And I would do, do him, right. uh, which was really a Kevin O'Neill impression. <laughs> I, you know, I had kind of stolen it from him. But, uh, and so I did that. And, of course, in New York, it meant nothing to Nobody. anyone. That, yeah, <laughs> I was doing a Father Griffin, yeah. yeah. So just bombed, you know, uh, twice again and thought, oh, I should try and figure this out better. And at that time, uh, Dick Cavett's book had just come out. Oh, I love now, him, Now, yeah. for those younger people who might not Dick, he, Dick Cavett, he was a rival of Johnny Carson yeah. uh, and had a talk show talk that was show somewhat successful on ABC opposite Johnny, and uh, he wrote a book about uh, <clears throat> his talk show, but also about his early days in stand-up where he started with Woody Allen because they were both managed by, uh, by Jack, Jack yeah. Rollins. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so uh, I couldn't afford the book. It was $8, and I did not have any money. I was completely broke. And my dad asked me to drive a car to Florida for him. So I drove my dad's car to Florida, and I had a certain budget, you know, and... Rather than staying in a hotel uh, one night, I, I slept in the car so I could save the eight bucks. I mean, Motel 6 is worth $6 at that point. You know, I <laughs> it mean, was actually Motel 6. So, so yeah, right. it, that's where the name came from. So, uh, you know, $8, you probably could get 10 or $15. You probably get a, you know, a decent uh, motel at that point. Right. So I, didn't, I slept in the car in, in North Carolina uh, one night. And when I got to Florida, 
I bought Dick Cavett's book and read it, and he talked about how he started and, you know, and tried to get a persona of uh, kind of the uh, country boy, because he was from Nebraska, who went to Yale. And right, he does talk about, about like that. having a stage persona in that book. He does, and it, it, I said, oh, and that's why I wrote the intellectual high school thing, trying to, you know, differentiate myself from right. what I thought other comedians were doing in, in New York. Uh, and uh, the amazing thing about this story is uh, nine years later, on my first Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, the guest ahead of me was Dick Cavett. No. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So uh, just a thrill. The full circle. Yes. Yeah. To, to see Johnny uh, giving me that okay sign and Dick Cavett applauding after my set. Wow. And being able to thank him backstage afterwards for... For the uh, book, yeah. Yeah. Telling him how much that book meant to me. Wow. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you what did being on uh, Johnny Carson mean to you? And you got Dick Cavett and Johnny Carson on your first show. So on that's the same amazing. day. And it was, uh, you know, a bunch of my friends came over as we, we all did, you know, when yeah. someone did their first Tonight Show. I mean, my friend Mark Schiff was there, oh, my wow. friend Mike Kane, who's sadly passed away. Uh, Seinfeld was there. Wow. Uh, Bill Maher was there. No way. A bunch of, yeah, a bunch <laughs> of, of friends were there. And uh, Were you the first one out of them to be on it, or was there, were no. you guys going to each other's tapings? I, I, no, I had, uh, be, because I didn't have an act, <laughs> because I talked to the audience so much, they didn't trust that on the, the show. night show. Yeah. Oh, okay. And just to go back a little bit, in 1979 in, in New York, you know, five years before I actually did the show, uh, I was at the Improv, and uh, I come off stage, and Chris Albrecht, who was the manager at that point, who went on to run HBO and, and you know became a big TV guy, he uh, he said to me, "Oh, there's someone here I want you to meet." And I said, "Oh," who? and it was Jim McCauley from the Tonight Show. Oh yeah. And Jim McCauley yeah. said to me, uh, uh, "Oh, I I enjoyed your set. I'm going to stay for the second show, and I, I'd like to see you do some material." And I said, oh, I don't have any material. <laughs> and I remember watching him walk out the door and getting in a cab no. and thinking, oh, my goodness. You know, the t TV shows just didn't come to New York at that point because right. everything was in Los Angeles. Exactly. And so here. So after you said that, he just The Tonight walked. Show just got in a cab and <laughs> went away. And I thought, oh, my goodness. That's it for me. Yeah, that was yeah, definitely it. Uh, oh, my gosh. That's terrifying. Yes. So, uh, so. About 1982 or so, Leno took me aside at the comedy store and said, uh, you know, you're funny enough to do The Tonight Show. You should work on some material. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> and so I worked on 10 minutes of material for a year. Every night I would open my set with that same 10 minutes. And, uh, you know, uh, when I first started trying to do it, as soon as something wouldn't get a laugh, I would bail and start talking to the audience doing my regular acting. Yeah. You know, I just wasn't comfortable doing it. You know, but That's amazing that your safety net is, is going off of material where other comics will go back to go material. Go back to material. Yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. That's so funny. So I, I did a year of that, and then uh, I said to my managers, oh, I'm ready to do the, uh, uh, the, the show. You know, yeah. I worked on this stuff, and they came in to see me at the comedy store on a Monday night in the main room after they'd seen an improv troupe with Robin Williams. Oh, and wow. I think I followed Dice Clay, and it was just, oh, you know, the circumstance. You know, people were talking, and and I couldn't stand the material and just just bomb with it. And my manager said, oh, you're really not ready, you know. Uh, and uh, so I went to New York and went around the clubs like I did in the old days mm -hmm. and did, you know, three sets a night on weekday nights and then six on the weekends and just ran that... 10 minutes, you know, opening the set 
you know, another for like two wow. weeks. I so did, you went you know, to like boot camp up in yeah, New York. So yeah. So I mean, I probably did it 40 or 50 more times, yeah. you know, running that set. So it was just bulletproof, you know, and came back and said, I'm really ready. Yeah. And my managers, uh, I, they said, what club do you want to uh, bring him into? Because I was working at the comedy store and the improv at that point. And down here and at the Ice House. And down here, I mean, the Comedy Magic Club. Yes, we're at the world-famous Comedy Magic Club. So I said, Comedy Magic Club is where I'd like to do it. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I I came down here and and I rewrote one of the jokes on the way down. I thought, oh, I think I have a better way to do that. And Jim McCauley didn't show up for the first show. It was, it was a, I think it was on a Friday or Saturday night where yeah. there were two shows. So he didn't, he was delayed and, and, and called. So, you know, I tried out the new wording on the joke and it worked better and I thought, oh, that's great. Yeah. So, you know, I did 10 minutes for him, the 10 minutes I've been working on and he took me aside uh, <coughs> over by where the bathrooms are yeah. here in the club and he said, uh, I want you to do the show. You can do any of that 10 minutes that oh, you want wow. of that. Yeah. Which was unusual because often he would tinker with people's set and rearrange the stuff and right. you know, work on it and cut stuff. That's so you can do any of that 10 minutes. So wow. I, I chose the strongest five and then uh, did it on the show. But it was scary for me because I knew if it didn't work, I couldn't do what I normally do in a club, which is just bail on it and talk to the audience. Right. So I was terrified. Really? So the first one, you're super <laughs> oh, terrified. I'm so terrified. <laughs> but to get back to the, uh, the Cabot and Johnny story. <clears throat> so afterwards, all my friends are talking to Dick Cabot in his dressing room. Your and friends Se- being Jerry Seinfeld, Bill Maher, all these yeah, great guys. Except that Seinfeld and I can't get into the room because it's too crowded. There, there were small yep. dressing rooms and Jerry and I can't get in. So we're standing outside trying to listen to the <laughs> wisdom, you know, from Dick Cabot. And Carson walks by all by himself oh my with gosh. a suit bag over his shoulder yeah. and stops and talks to Jerry and me. Just the two of us wow. are having a conversation with Johnny. Yeah. And Johnny says, it's so nice your friends come out to support you because Jerry had done the show since maybe 81 or so, maybe 80 or 81. So Jerry had done it a bunch of times. Yeah. And Johnny knew. And, uh, and so our friends all come out and go, oh, that was so great. We're talking to Dick Cabot. And Jerry and I are going, we just talked to Carson. <laughs> it was just an unbelievable like, no way. night, you know, yeah. that I got to talk to uh, Cabot That's and Carson. That's amazing. And, wow. Yeah, for my first. What an amazing first time, yeah, to be yeah. on. And yeah. that's like the greatest show to be on, too, like the Johnny Carson show, Tonight Show. Amazing. In, in its day, yeah. it was, yeah, the show. And Was it, it true that they said if you'd be on that show one time that it would make your career? It, it did for some people. Okay. You know, I think maybe in the 70s, uh, when uh, um, like David Brenner did it, right? You know, he had a wonderful first guys, set yeah. and, and really took off. And Freddie Prinz, right, had a you know really strong set. And I think it was Sammy Davis Jr. was on the show and called him over to panel. And that was the big thing if you ever did if you get called show, over get called panel, yeah. panel. I think maybe Stephen Wright did, and I, I don't know. Was this Stephen Wright on the next day too? Like they had him come back or something like that? Stephen Wright came back, I think, within a week or two. Yeah, something like. Yeah. Unbelievable, yeah. And I, I have. But you got that okay from Johnny though. Oh, and that's what. That's the. Yes. Thing to get, yeah. Rodney Dangerfield has a routine, uh, in on his first album that, he doesn't want people to applaud or laugh. He just he says, just give me one of these, just give me one of these, (laughs) you know, the okay sign. Okay sign. Yeah, just give me one of these, and that's what. We all wanted from Johnny is wow. just, oh, just give me one of these. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, even though I wasn't looking at Johnny, because they, they tell you to stand there until the stage manager releases you at the end of the set. And uh, Johnny, 
you know, oh, funny stuff, and you know, gives me one of those, wow. and it's the greatest. Cloud Nine, yeah, that's yep, amazing. Yep, yep, so yep. cool. So you did your first Tonight Show, and then, uh, I mean, what year did you move to L.A.? Was it like eighty or? No, I moved in nineteen seventy nine. Seventy nine. Okay. I was cast in a TV show. That's right, Out of the Blue, right? Out of the Blue, yeah, yeah. a sitcom that I was cast. It was in, on yeah. ABC. Uh, ABC, yes, it was. Uh, yeah, it was on a. It was that's Sunday so night. Cool. It was opposite sixty minutes in Disney. So even I wasn't watching the show. I mean, nobody was watching. Uh, you know, it's where shows failed every, you know. Was it against football too? or Not, not football? at that point. Okay. Yeah, there was. I don't think there was. Sunday Man, that's a rough time slot. Yeah, it was. It was yeah, an impossible but how, time how, slot. So but, is that yeah. what brought you out to Los Angeles? Was the TV That show? is, yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. And then 79, that must have been like the comedy strike and everything up here. I came out right the after store? the comedy strike. Okay. Yes. When I was out here doing the pilot for Out of the Blue, uh, the strike was on, and I went and walked the picket line oh, uh, with Tom Dreesen. Yeah, Tom there, Dreesen. And I, I had never met any of these guys because I was a New York comic and just introduced myself. And Tom Dreesen tells me he's got a picture of us walking the picket line. Wow. And every time I see him, I ask him. He said, "Yeah, yeah, I'll find it." And I've never seen oh, the man, picture. Oh man, be the coolest picture. Me. Yeah. Yeah, but I, yeah, it'd be wonderful to have a picture of. Yeah. I talked to Mr. Dreesen on here too, and he was telling uh, me like he would sorry. him like I think Jay and like uh-huh. I guess you were there too. They would hold like meetings at people's apartments and, like, uh, and they would make posters be- and stuff before I came out. But because that was my maybe April or May of '79, somewhere there was the strike. I think. And, you know, we heard in New York that they had settled the strike. And so the New York comics all got together at Seinfeld's apartment, <laughs> you know, kind of a select group, right. you know, that wouldn't blab it to the owners right, right. away, I think. And we talked, we said, you know, they're getting money in California now. And the clubs in New York were packed at that point because there weren't comedy clubs in every city. Right. Yet. It's true. Yeah. There was one in Philadelphia. I think Washington just opened one. Uh, but there weren't clubs everywhere so it was special to go see comedy you know if you're on vacation in new york or in los angeles right. you would go to one of the comedy places so the clubs were just packed every night we were paying getting paid nothing <laughs> and jerry god bless jerry said you know we should be getting paid wow so uh, i had no idea that the, the one in la inspired the one, in, the new one york. in new york yes wow so uh so the, the the group then i think we had a bigger meeting maybe and the group uh asked jerry and larry miller and me and Glenn Hirsch, because he wow. was a big act at the improv yeah. at the point, the four of us to go and talk to the owners. Wow. And, Bud Friedman and. Uh, yeah, Bud Friedman was out, had already moved to California okay. and opened an improv out here. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so it was Chris Albrecht who was running the improv in New York. And he kind of said early on, yeah, I'll give you what they give you in California. Wow. And then they talked to the other owners and they back down on that so <laughs> they ended up giving us ten dollars on weekdays and 25 on weekends wow so you're to thank for that that's amazing you were well but jerry and larry although the owners beat us up so bad in that <laughs> those negotiations you know because they didn't want to give up any money it's and, funny picturing comedians negotiating and, and you know, doing they, business meetings and they were business guys right you know the comic strip guys great guys uh, but they were bar owners from the bronx right yeah you know, real new york you know because you couldn't have been in a comedy club business before you had to come from like the burlesque shows or the bars and And they were bar owners and had gone in to catch a rising star and said why don't we do this ourselves and they opened the comic strip and you know rick newman at catch a rising star another great guy and chris albrecht too you know great but but, you know they were business guys and you know was it it still like mafia or was that over with 
I, at th- that th- point. There were certainly rumors that <laughs> Catch a Rising Star was... Uh, I heard some things, uh, yeah. ...mafia-related, and uh, yeah, I had a run-in one night at Catch. No, what happened? But, uh, there was a, a table in the back. A guy gets up and walks to the bathroom, and he's a, a white-haired guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I say, ladies and gentlemen... Uh, Lauren Green, <laughs> <laughs> you know, from Bonanza, you know, right. Lauren Green, and, uh, and he just ignores me. And I don't really think any of it. And then he comes out of the bathroom, walks back, uh, oh, Lauren Green's back, and he's sitting there with little Joe and Haas, and, you know, I just, just n- not really much of a joke, but just... Lighthearted, yeah. Yes, I think I was, I was emceeing the show, and it was just getting started in the show. And uh, this guy comes out after I finish my set and uh, takes me out to the... Uh, it was a, there's two doorways in back east, so the wind doesn't come in when it's cold. You know, okay, you don't yeah. lose all, all the heat in the building when you right. open it. So there was two sets of doors. So there's a space there with the telephone and stuff. And he says, uh, "Come on in and talk to me." And I, I oh my gosh. And he says, uh, "Can I buy a drink?" I said, "No, no, they give me whatever I want." So th- thank you. But uh, and he takes me aside and says, uh, "You think you're funny?" And I go, "Well, yeah, I think I'm. Oh yeah, oh, I'm a comedian, my. you know." And uh, he says, uh, "You know, I could uh, break your legs." Oh and real gosh. quiet and and yeah and and I went oh uh, <laughs> you know and so he's threatening me for a few minutes you know <clears throat> and uh, and he keeps asking me do you think you're funny and by the end I'm going you know you're right I am not funny at all <laughs> I am not <laughs> you know and then I had to go back up and see the rest of the show oh jeez and he and sat back was, down yeah oh. and he sat back with his table and he was back at like the owner's table yeah oh jeez so it might have been a coincidence right it might not you have heckled been Joe Pesci that night <laughs> yes and. Uh, I was supposed to MC there one night, uh, and I was double booked. At the, the improv had already booked me, and mm. Catch Rising Star assumed I was available, but, but they, they were wrong. I wasn't available. So Joe Piscopo filled in for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he says to uh, a guy in the audience uh, who's wearing a black shirt and a white tie, he says, oh, you look like a hitman from Jersey. You know, just, <laughs> just the same kind of thing. I was just talking to the right, audience. Right, just observations. You know, yeah. And uh, the guy came out and sucker punched Joe twice in the face. On stage? Oh, off stage. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, and broke his nose. Shh. And Joe, and I was... Oh, was that when Joe Piscopo was like, I got to do Frank Sinatra impressions from now <laughs> I think that's when he started the bodybuilding thing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, I, I don't know about that, but... <laughs> just kidding, I'm just kidding. But, yeah. Uh, but, that's, yeah. I oh, mean, that's brutal. That's like a comedian's nightmare, really, is to be confronted by somebody. Oh, yeah, it was really scary. Yeah. You know, there's rumors that Richard Belzer was thrown down the stairs by some oh mob guy. Because he had a real insult kind of act and right yeah somebody thrown that so there were always rumors and i don't know if they were yeah they were true or not but you know it was uh it was scary kind of rougher yeah 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 that's so crazy and then so you were out in la in 79 yeah and uh did how'd you meet jay did you meet him around the same time or when did you meet him uh i had met him once in new york with kind of a group of comics and jay had come in I think he was doing like the Mike Douglas show in Philadelphia or oh, something. Okay. He was traveling through yeah. and, uh, and it stopped in the improv and said, ah, these are the new kids, huh? <laughs> and so we had all kind of talked to him. But yeah, I don't think Jay ever remembered that. But I was, uh, I remember getting out of my car at the improv in Hollywood and Jay sitting on his motorcycle out front and he said, uh, uh, you're the new kid with the TV show. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah. So we started talking and uh, a little bit. And so I knew him in the clubs you know, a little bit, but it was really Seinfeld who had met him on an earlier trip out here before I even moved out. Uh, Jerry had gotten a, a spot at the Laugh Stop, which was a comedy chain that was out here. Okay. And he had worked with Jay and had gone to Jay's house. When he And, and J- I remember Jerry coming back to New York telling me, ah, I hung out with Leno at his house. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's great. So when Jerry moved out, 
uh, we would start, we would go up to Jay's house and hang out uh, every night. Oh, it'd be so like, cool. You know, it'd be Jerry and me, Larry Miller and Carol Liefer and, wow. you know, a bunch of us from New York would yeah. all hang out and Jay would, you know, he would have everyone on tape from their worst TV appearances and <laughs> would show them or he'd show a bad movie or, you know. He would play your like bad His sets. wife would go to bed early and he would stay up and, uh, yeah. Oh, it's so much fun. Yeah, it was, I just it saw Carol Liefer last week at the uh, Laugh Factory. She was great. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah that's amazing. Like, you, to you, it's your your buddies, but to me, it's like, these guys are comedy legends, you know? Absolutely, yeah. Carol started a little after me, and with Paul Reiser, they started about the same right, time yeah. coming into the club. That's amazing. So you guys were just hanging out every night and then playing the uh, improv there, up here. And we weren't on the road at all, so it was literally every night we would see everyone in the clubs. Wow. Every night, and... You know, uh, a bunch of us worked at the comic strip. Even Larry Miller was the bartender during the day. Oh, yeah. And when he quit that job, I, I filled you got in. The <laughs> I got the job. Yeah, two days a week, I was the day bartender. Oh, nice. And then passed on to my friend Bill Keller. Nice. And uh, my friend Mark Schiff was the cook there on the off day from the regular cook <laughs> in, in, the, in the kitchen and stuff. So oh, it's so funny to me to picture all you guys it working was, back. It was, yeah, it was really home for us. You that's know? amazing, that was, yeah. Yeah, we'd end up there every night. On the way back home, we'd stop by the comic strip and hang out and go get something to eat. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah wonderful so, days. So you were in L.A. for a long time, and then uh, and then you became the... Uh, were you the writer first or the talent booker for The Tonight Show with Jay? Uh, both, actually, at the both same time. Both at the same time? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had helped Jay when he was guest hosting. Uh, for you know, Johnny Carson. For Johnny Carson. And, yeah, he would call me and just try out jokes on the phone because initially he just would do his act mm. when he was guest hosting and you know it was, it was a killer act in the 80s and you know jay was at the the height of his stand-up uh popularity and uh i'm just gonna get a drink here i heard yeah jay would play like stadiums uh, and like just he was like huge oh yeah he was and like i would never know because he never put a special out so it's just like hearsay i just gotta like <laughs> imagine what it was like you know oh yeah and jay would do two hours in concert wow and i remember jerry uh seinfeld lecturing him and saying you don't need to do two hours <laughs> yeah you know, save the other hour give him an hour and you know come back for an encore for 10 minutes don't give him <sighs> you know it's too long jay yeah so but yeah jay was uh so i mean he ran out of his act <clears throat> eventually guest hosting and would you know had to do uh new topical jokes was right. the best thing to do there and uh so he would just call me and, hey, what about this joke? What about this joke? Hey, what about this joke? And, uh, and then he started inviting me up to his house. and said, yeah, come on up. We'll play video games. <laughs> and he'd have a whole stack of cards. You Where know, you guys play? Before we ever got. Back then it was... Uh, Atari, Nintendo? <clears throat> uh, yeah, it was uh, Atari he had. But there was a, a more sophisticated version called Intellivision by Mattel. Oh, yeah, that yeah. It had, you know, a little better graphics. A little, you know, it was a, a, more, a little more upscale. Sure. And... Jay could beat me in all the games because, <laughs> you know, he could play all day. Right. But there was one game of tanks, which the tanks move very slowly. Oh, yeah. And you could hide behind the barrier. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we'd shoot him. And it was, you know, very <laughs> basic kind of thing. But, you know, I, I could kind of hold my own <laughs> in the tank game against Jay because it was, you know, slow moving. That's so funny. Kind of strategy and, <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, we would play. But and so it became kind of a regular thing. Uh Jay was guest hosting on Tuesdays, I think, once a week. And so I would go up on Monday nights and, you know, and often other nights, too, just to hang out. But, yeah, we'd work on the jokes, and that became a regular thing. And when Jay got the show, he said, uh, yeah, you want to come on, you know, as, as a writer and, right. and do exactly what you're doing here? Wow. And I said, uh, yeah, for six months, I'll help you out to get started. 
you know, because I was, you know, yeah. my stand-up career was still going fine, and it turned into nine years of oh my gosh. doing that. Yeah, yeah that's and, and a guy and a guy quit. Uh, there was a guy going to book the comics, uh, and he decided not to take the job. He's going through a divorce or something happened mm-hmm. in his life, and so kind of at the last minute before the show started, they said, uh, "Oh, would you also like to book the comics on the show?" And I said, "Oh, sure, sure. sure. We'll, you know, we'll give you another eight hundred dollars a week." <laughs> and I went, "Oh, yeah, that sounds good." But I didn't realize they were both two full-time Huge jobs. Huge undertaking, yeah. I'd be at Jay's house till two in the morning working on the monologue. Wow, I heard that, yeah. And then, uh, you know, going in the afternoon at the show and do the rest of the monologue for right. the day. And then the show would be over and I'd go to the clubs and I would do stand-up and I'd watch other comics oh for the show. Oh, my gosh, and then I'd go to, job, yeah. I'd go to Jay's house at 10 o'clock at night to uh, start the monologue for the next day for another four hours. Gosh. So it was, yeah. Was, Around the clock, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those first five years where I did both jobs. Right. And, I, I, and I did the warm-up for a while, too, for the show. No, oh, my yeah, gosh. I did, yeah, yeah, for a short time, I did Taking the Taking on every <laughs> yeah, possible yeah, task, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I did a That's lot That's amazing. Of, yeah, a lot of work. I, I think I heard you, sometime long ago, I heard you say you'd stay up till 2 in the morning with Jay and write jokes. Uh, maybe it was over there, but uh, uh-huh, I uh-huh. went to a taping of the show of Jay before. It was, uh, like, it was a few years ago, and uh-huh. it's at 5 to, like, 6 p.m., Something like that, the taping? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, so right after that, you guys must have just hopped in the car and then went straight into writing, like, jokes? And uh, no, we, we'd have a little meeting, kind of, to discuss the show afterwards. And, uh, you know, Jay would go to his garage and do whatever garage stuff is. And I would mm-hmm. go to the clubs oh, okay. and, and meet back up at his house at 10 o'clock. Wow. So I had those three hours of, well, and, it was work for me, but Jay was, Jay was off. <laughs> but Jay would have been there since 9 o'clock in the morning. Wow. You know, we'd work till two in the morning. Yeah. And, you know, Jay would be in there at nine. <laughs> yeah. You know, people and don't realize how much work goes into these shows. It's amazing. Yeah. And Jay would read hundreds of jokes. That's uh, what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. And by the time I got in, in the early afternoon, Jay would have maybe 150 jokes that he liked for the monologue that I would go through and help him pick the, you know, the 20 jokes or so. Wow. So out of 150, about you choose about 20 for the monologue. Uh, 20 to 25. It got, yeah. It See, got that's the longer. thing I never it, understood. The longer we're there, the longer the right. monologue got. Yeah. I never understood that because I spoke to Brian Kiley once, and he writes mm. for Conan, and mm-hmm. he says they write like 200, 300 jokes a day, and then Conan reads all of them, and then I'm sure Jay read all of them too. How do yep. you? And yep. you read them too. And like, how do you even know what's funny after reading 100 <laughs> jokes in a row? Well, huh. It becomes very I mean, logical. Jay I would have edited them down to 150, maybe. Okay. You know, and give me this big stack of cards. So, I think it was just what made us laugh, you know. And we'd seen a lot of variations of the same joke over and over. Yeah. So, you know, some stuff which were good jokes, you know, didn't make it in just because we'd done it a so much that it right. d- it didn't seem fresh anymore. Yeah. So, it, it yeah, it had to be pretty fresh. But it's like a science almost, like. Yes, and, and, and people that would watch in a while, the journalists would want to come and watch us do the monologue thinking it would be really? so hilarious. <laughs> but, you know, what it's they like, always... Oh, this is funny. Yep. Okay. Exactly. This one's going in. Nope. All right. <laughs> it was yes or no. We almost never laughed. Wow. You know, <laughs> yeah. it was just, you know... The, it's the work. The yeah. joke would go, yeah, that's okay. Let's put that in. You know, that would be a killer joke would be... <laughs> Yeah, that might work. Right. That would be the yeah the the best that a joke would get from us. That's so you funny. know after doing so many thousands of jokes week in week out. And the Tonight Show during Jay was legendary for it, you guys doubled Johnny Carson's uh, monologues, right? 
like he was doing seven minutes you guys were doing like 10 15 uh the length of time yeah i think johnny would do somewhere yeah maybe 10 jokes and or i don't 12. think jimmy's doing that so you guys hold the record i think that's amazing well that was you know jay's real strength was being a monologist and you know when they they would do testing of the show and they could get it down to minute to minute to see where people tuned out and people stayed oh tuned. wow they can do that they can see like wow yeah, that's yeah. incredible <laughs> Excuse me, or at least that's what they told us. And, <laughs> and uh, but they could see where people tuned out, and people stayed. Uh, they stayed tuned for the comedy. Okay. So they were fine with us, you know, doing comedy up until, you know, almost five minutes before midnight. You know, tw there were right. twenty or twenty-five minutes of, of comedy before the first guest came out. Even yeah. which was much longer than Johnny did. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I don't think anybody does it that long anymore, and it was uh, like hilarious all the way through. It was amazing. Well, Jay was a strong. Uh, yeah. Well, how do you is there is there a format for a monologue when you look at it? Do you say I want a little bit of jokes for this demographic, a little bit for this, or do you just solely choose what you think is the funniest? It was it was just what was the funniest to us. But what became a problem for us, and Jay was still guest hosting it uh, at this point, we would try and decide what order to put them in. Yeah, that's and, what I was going to ask. You. And at the beginning, we would go, "What's the big story of the day?" Because that's what Johnny would do. And he'd probably have, you know, maybe three or four jokes on whatever the big story was. And right. then, you know, maybe half dozen other jokes. It's like a newspaper. You do the headline and then you go. Into well, the and that's what I finally said to Jay. I, I, it dawned on me one night, you know, I went, oh, why don't we put it together like a newspaper? And now we won't be fighting over the importance of the story. Because oh, right, in yeah. 25 jokes, you know, we go, is this more important? And we didn't know what was the most important story. I mean, it was, so we'd be up till six in the morning arguing about the order <laughs> of the jokes. And it was, you know, when Jay was guest hosting, which was crazy. So I said, why don't we do it like a newspaper? We'll do the front page stuff first, and then we'll do, you know, feature stuff and sports and Small financial. And, you know, just like a newspaper right. set up. And that helped us organize the monologue, uh, yeah, much more efficiently. Wow. In that, yeah, because we would could group the, the stories together. Right. Yeah. So start from the biggest. Well, that's what that we tried the biggest to the smallest, smallest. story, but that, that was a crazy. I mean, that was a frustrating thing with 25 jokes. It was that was difficult. But yeah, it. it yeah. 25 Laying it jokes. Like a newspaper yeah. became. Gosh, that's so hard. Like I that don't saved us so much time over the years. Right. So, yeah. And people don't realize, like, as a comedian to do 14 minutes or whatever a night is in, like unheard of. Like, that's so hard to do. Well, especially brand new jokes. Yeah, exactly. That you've never seen before. And, you know, with your act, you kind of know, you know, if people will, uh, you know, giggle at a setup, maybe. Some nights they do, right. sometimes they don't. But at least you know, because you've done it so many times, that there's a possibility that they might laugh there. So exactly. you might know where to pause or something. But brand new jokes? Yeah. You don't know if they're going to laugh at the setup or the or the punchline. You, you have no totally, idea. yeah. And yeah, would you stand off off camera and sort of watch, or would I you would. go home? But you would. Oh. No, no. But uh, the uh, producer Debbie Vickers wanted us to whoever was in charge of that segment would sit out next to her so she could ask questions, or you know, it generally was the people who had a guest. Okay. You know, yeah. who did the pre-interview with the guest would sit with her for right. that guest. You know, but I sat out there for the monologue, and whenever a joke wouldn't work, Jay would turn to me and said. Uh, Brogan, I told you that wouldn't work or something. <laughs> and, you know, uh, he would demand that I pay him money or vice versa <laughs> if he was wrong. You bet on the good jokes. And that became a, a running thing in right. the show. And a lot of it was cut out. Sometimes when jokes wouldn't work, they would cut it out. You'd see Kevin Eubanks laughing at a joke. Often it was because... Oh, they're editing. They're, they're, yeah, oh, they, they've okay. cut from one joke to another, yeah, if there's a, if there's a cutaway. Mm -hmm. uh, so 
but uh, yeah, a lot of nights Jay, Jay would, uh, Jay and so I would have cool. a bet, and, and people still come up to me on the street and say, "Oh, that was so funny when you used to have bets with Jay." People yeah. still remember that from the that's amazing from the show, yeah. And you you also booked a lot of the comics that we know and love today, like I think you booked Ray Romano. Right? Yeah, we booked Ray Romano before wow. he got his TV show. Right. Yeah. Uh, Kevin James. Wow. Who Mike Lacey, who's the owner of this club, uh, recommended to me. He said, "Have you seen this guy, Kevin James?" Wow. And I said, "No, no, I don't know who he is." And you know, I saw him uh, probably down here. Shirt. Right oh, here. that's so funny. It's right. It's King of Queens shirts right above us. Right where we're talking here. Yeah, <laughs> in a glass case is his King yeah. of Queens outfit. Wow. But uh, yeah, I booked him. Wow. For, uh, and uh, Carrot Top. Oh, I just saw him in Las Vegas. <laughs> uh, and no one would, you know, he was had trouble getting TV because he was a prop act. Right. And, you know, there was, there's, in the comedy world, there's a certain prejudice against prop acts. But still, he's among so great. Like, I saw him, I was dying of laughter. He's, he, he was the best of what he did. Absolutely. Uh, at that point. You know, Gallagher was, was great with props in, in you know, uh, in the day two. Totally. But, uh, but, you know, Carrot Top was the new guy and had funny stuff. And, you know, I booked him on the show and, uh, you know, maybe six years later or so when they stopped using as many comics, we probably were using, uh, oh, there's my ride home. <laughs> <laughs> it's a siren joke that it, uh, that every comic in New York used to do. Oh, there's my ride home. But, um, uh, what's that? Oh, Carrot Top. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we used to book maybe two comics, two or three comics a week. We were using a lot of comics early on, but eventually because they looked at the ratings and they decided comics weren't holding the audience as well they didn't do many comics and at one point they said to me when Carrot Top was on they said you know who the last comic we had on was I said no who was on they said Carrot Top <laughs> they were almost only using Carrot Top right. you know six or eight years later it was almost all Carrot Top yeah, uh, yeah he was on it quite a bit I remember growing up well, I, would see him, I would see him on the Tonight Show all the time yeah yeah yeah, yeah. for some reason he became uh, why is that do you know do you have a theory to why stand-up comedy doesn't really do particularly well on late night television you know I, I, I've heard that as well I don't know uh, yeah, uh, yeah is I, this I, the same I, with music acts as well Yes, and that was a mistake we made early on with the Tonight Show, just out of ignorance. Is <laughs> you know, I remember Jay saying, "We're going to have the uh, musical artist do two songs a night. It's going to be completely different or something." But it turns out it's too much time. <laughs> there's there's a reason that the music acts are on last on the show is because people are they don't hold the audience. Out. Yeah, you never right. see them early in the show. It's always that last yep. moment. And and when you think about it. You know, some people like hip hop, some like country, some like rock and roll. True, yeah, you're well, and narrowing your audience, yeah. Yeah, it just, you know, I you might get all like the country that. people, but still that's not as wide of an right. audience as, you know, just everyone in the country totally. tuning in to see Tom Cruise or right. whoever it is. So, Was there anybody that uh, you may have passed on at the time that you look back on and you're like, oh, well, they got better eventually. Like, oh, man, I should have. Oh, uh, yeah, there were the people. Perhaps they that, weren't ready at the time. And there were people. Uh, Dane Cook. Oh, wow. Showed me a set, you know, yep. and, and, you know, I would see him in the clubs and I knew him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would look at him and go, this is like watching Mick Jagger perform. Yeah. You know, he was such a wonderful, strong act in the club. But to work clean and just do material and, you know, the physicality on TV. Right. At that point, there weren't huge screens. So... You know, you were probably three inches tall on TV. Right. You know, <laughs> He's running around it, it and was, doing his... It was hard for that to translate. Totally. And, you know, I saw him down at the improv. He showed me, uh, you know, five minutes. And he had about four minutes. 
were good. He had a speak and spell thing. He had some good oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, I remember that, yeah. But it wasn't quite ready. You know, I said, oh, it's not quite ready. Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, I, only, I only did the comics for five years. You know, I think by the time that I, uh, you know, it was toward the end of the five years. So, you know, I didn't get to work with him again. So yeah. I, I passed on him. I think I passed on Orny Adams, who's a wonderful oh, Orny, comic. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he told me, Orny said, I still have that letter you sent me. Oh, you wrote them all letters too? Yeah, I decided I would change how it worked in Hollywood. That's Because so great, generally yeah. you never heard anything. You would right. submit a tape to Blindly, a booker or a TV show. No response right. ever. You don't know if they ever saw it. Anything. So I said, you know, we've got to send a letter to everyone wow. saying, you know, thank you. You know, keep in touch. You know, please submit again, you know. and That's uh, amazing. So, yeah, I sent a letter to every single person. And people like Dr. Ken... Uh, who's got yeah. his own TV show, Dr. Ken now, you know, he, he still has a letter. That's awesome. <laughs> that, yeah, I turned him down. You know, he, was, he had won a contest in, I think it was New Orleans, maybe when he was uh, a resident, you know, or, or an intern, you know, maybe right. becoming a doctor, and had won a contest and was flown out here and stuff. But, you know, he just wasn't ready at that point. Totally. You know, Dane Cook wasn't quite ready for, you know, this kind of TV at that point. Exactly, yeah. And Orny Adams said to me, you know, I wasn't ready back then, but you know, you don't know that right. early on. So yeah, there were people that I passed on that, you know, became successful, but at the time they just weren't quite a fit for the show. Ready. Right, and, yeah. You know, and I've talked to uh, the guy who booked the comics after me, Lee David Lee, uh, at the Tonight Show. Uh, I, 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 I talked to him today, but we often talk about comics that I say, did you pass on? You know, Dane Cook, whoever it was, yeah. and he went, yeah, he wasn't ready at that point yet right. either. You know, for him, so yeah, that's um, so cool. So yeah, that's we, still we, so nice that you would write them all back. I mean, that is such a hard task too. To I mean, not like you were doing enough already on the Tonight Show. You got to go write everybody a letter. Well, and thanking uh, them. Uh, and yes, that's, thankfully there was uh, yeah an assistant, uh, so Laura Santeno, nice, who though. who you know did you know it was it was kind of a form letter, but still yeah. it was personalized to them and. You know, it was a polite letter saying thank you, and you know, at least they knew. That means so much to the comic. Yes, one way or the other, they knew where they stood. Totally. Yeah. And I just want to ask a couple more questions yep. real quick before I. Um, uh, what do you when you look for a comic? What What is something that stands out, or what is, what's something that makes a comic like ready for a TV show, that kind of thing, or no. not just no. in general? What makes a good comic? I guess. Oh. To make it simple. Is that boy? You know, I just look for people that would make me laugh at. Yeah. At that point, you know, that so part of it was originality, you know, because I'd seen a lot of comedy in the clubs over the years. Uh, and I had I decided I would keep all the tapes in my office in case anyone wanted to refer. <laughs> and so I had a thousand tapes and, you know, wow. I had bookcases floor to ceiling. Walls of, of tapes. And it was tapes and it was videotapes. You know, wow. Back yeah. Then. So Huge it took up, yeah, it took up the tapes. And uh, um so originality and kind of a combination of, of comics that could perform well and had good smart material and, and could get to it efficiently in five minutes. You know, on, on a TV spot, you've really got to get, you know, that first joke right out of the box has to really define you and tell the audience who oh, you are. So and I've done seminars actually on that opening joke for a comic yeah. that it really informs the audience what your whole act is going to be. If you're a good comic, you is know, it that kind of your point joke, of view? Yes, it tells okay. them everything they need to know wow. about what the act is going to be. 
what your point of view is towards yourself and the world and right. where you fit in and yeah everything is can be in that first joke and that's what really good comics do what's like a really short opening line that sticks out to you that's like a good opening joke for oh for a comic setting out a point of view oh boy i don't know if there's i had a conversation with jeremy hotz a couple of years ago yeah and he t- you know i was always looking at it is the act starts when you get to the microphone and jeremy said no no the act starts when he comes out of the curtain and has that kind of hangdog look and maybe his hand up to his face right and you know he's already in that attitude of Totally. You know, woe is me, and the world is horrible, <laughs> and, you know, uh, he's already doing that from when he comes out of the curtain until yeah. he gets to the microphone. So I don't try to have an exact line, but his attitude is so clear, you know, right his when he walks on stage. Right away, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. I really oh, appreciate sure. it. My pleasure. Thank you so much, sir. Okay. <laughs>